Welcome to the newest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Survive and Thrive, a podcast co-hosted by Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and Courtney Nordrum, Regulatory Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer at Deluxe. This season on Survive and Thrive, we're talking about compliance disasters, which befell companies because they weren't looking at the right clues, had their collective heads in the sand, or did not expect the unexpected. If you want to know how to prepare for and avoid disasters from the compliance perspective, this podcast series is the podcast series for you. Survive and thrive. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Survive and Thrive, a podcast where we unpack compliance crisis and disasters, walk you through all the red flags uh, which appeared, and give you some lessons going forward. And we have a doozy for you today. I'm your co-host, Tom Fox. And I'm Courtney Nordrum. I'm Regulatory Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer at Deluxe. This season, we're walking through compliance disasters, unpleasant situations that companies have found themselves in because they weren't looking for the right clues, they had their heads in the sand, or they hadn't yet figured out how to expect the unexpected. Today's episode is about conflicts of interest. And as Tom said, it's a doozy. So Courtney, you are a diligent CCO and you work till five o'clock, at least five o'clock every day. In this position, you report to the general counsel, but you have straight line access to the audit committee on the board. Because you're so conscientious, you're in the office on Friday, July 3rd, and the general counsel has already left for his 4th of July holiday. Uh, although you might slip out a little early, uh, you're thinking maybe, you know, just after four, what could happen on the Friday, July the 3rd? You get a call from someone who claims he has a deal with your CCO, CEO to be put on the board of directors. And you go, well, that's, that's very interesting. Um, and he says that, that deal was that he put up a $5 million loan to the CEO and he's funded this loan and he wants his board seat. He's getting tired of not being on the board. He's heard even Exxon's getting some new board members and he wants that board seat. He says he has email traffic and uh, uh, back and forth. He's happy to share that with you, uh, but he's gonna file suit on Monday unless he's named to the board literally over the July 4th holiday weekend. Then he says, and by the way, your your GC is in on this too. He knows about it and he approved it. I made sure he knew about it and I demanded that he approved it. So uh, perhaps other than not staying at your office till four o'clock every day, uh, is there anything else that uh, you can think of? Uh, would, is this a potential conflict of interest? Do you start with a written constitution of your company, which is the code of conduct, you then get this idea that, you know, we've had several new board members come on this spring and um, they didn't really ask me about them. Uh, I wonder if anyone else has similar arrangements. Where do you start? So first call is to my husband to tell him that I will not be able to celebrate our anniversary because it's on the 4th of July. Um, And then I call, um, 
in in my life, outside counsel is is worth every single penny we spend on them. And so my first call would be to outside counsel. Normally, if it weren't a board issue and, and there was a conflict issue involving the CEO, I would go straight to the head of the audit committee. Um, that's I have a you know line of reporting to them as all CCOs should. And in this hypothetical um, or any situation where you have issues, potential conflicts with the CEO, you go to the board and that's where you would usually start. But because the board is potentially implicated here, I want to make sure that we have um, an airtight investigation. So first call to outside counsel. I'm going to let them advise me on, on next steps to take, but I'm guessing they will tell me to include the audit committee and, and get the audit committee chair up to speed as well. So it's the clock is ticking uh, closer to 5 p.m. You managed to get the chair of the audit committee who was on his way to his July 4th lake house in northern Minnesota. And uh, he says, you know, maybe I need to pull off to the side of the road. Um, what's your plan, Courtney? Um, and my plan would be investigate and investigate as quickly as possible because the we're going to call them wannabe board member has threatened to file suit on monday and so i want to make sure that i have all of my ducks in a row before monday so we can head off any potential litigation because that's just going to complicate everything by another degree so i'm going to want to to do an investigation an investigation over fourth of july weekend is going to be tough so again i'm going to lean on outside counsel uh, uh and and that's because in the hypothetical the board is is implicated i don't think the audit committee chair has any idea but i also want there to be deniability for the audit committee for the relationships they have with other board members it can be very difficult to investigate other board members even if it's part of your role and so if we would find out that there aren't any issues, I want to not do anything that would damage the audit committee chairs standing with the rest of the board. And so I would say outside counsel, I need you to spin up an investigation and I need you to do it now, 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 now. On my side, I'm going to be calling my CISO. I'm going to be calling all of the people in the business who I think can get me any uh, electronic or document three evidence that I could then provide for the investigation. So I'm going to get emails, I'm going to get um, any memos, any minutes of any meetings, I'm going to try to do an entire document production in less than 24 hours so we can get as much evidence as we have to help the investigation. Courtney, after talking to the head of the audit committee, uh, Annie just says to you, you know, I'm going to think about this on the way to my lake house. I'll call you back when I get there. And he calls you back and he says, um, I like your preliminary plan. Uh, I'm going to declare this a special investigation of the audit committee. You will be our contact person. Please move forward as you have described with a collection of documents. Uh, and can you advise me on literally what is a conflict of interest? Is a are there any rules and regulations within our code of conduct 
or policies and procedures that we might look to uh, for governing this. Um, what is the role of or what are the obligations of a executive regarding potential conflicts of interest, disclosing potential conflicts of interest? Are there any um, theories that you're aware of, Courtney, around uh, business justifications or rather business decisions influenced by personal interest? And um, I'm going to call you back uh, after breakfast, but before lunch. <laughs> tomorrow so uh so have fun uh, i'd like your thoughts then where where do you go uh not necessarily to do legal research but the the research questions he's asked you about uh the company guidelines policies procedures and the code uh what do you review and what would you consider reporting to him right so first place i go is the code it's our constitution live it love it breathe it you know learn it it's part of who we are. And I know that the code has language about conflicts of interest. So our code that uh, we use in, in my organization has a pretty simple definition of conflicts. And I think it's universally approachable. It's, it is a business decision influenced or appearing to be influenced by personal interest. So it's basically the, the gut check of, hey, am I making this decision for the business or am I making this decision for me or someone I'm related to or a good friend of mine? And we have in our code and others have in there that you have to disclose potential conflicts, perceived conflicts, as well as conflicts. And so there are arguments as to asking your, your workforce what they want, what you need them to disclose, just actual conflicts. But we have found, and I have found personally, that telling everyone that they have to disclose everything, but telling them in a way that's non-judgmental is how we go about making sure that we're being the most inclusive. And I say that in that disclosing a conflict of interest is required, but that doesn't mean that the conflict is going to cause a problem. Conflicts have to be managed. Some of them will result in, in the board, the CEO, executive leadership, or members of the workforce not being able to take the actions they want to take. But the important thing about conflicts is that you disclose them and then we manage them. We can put walls up around conflicts to make sure we're doing the right thing and that people aren't improperly influenced. So first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send them our code, which he already has because I send it all the time and it's available publicly and I train him on it. <laughs> and so he already has the code. And so he's going to know that there is a conflicts of interest section in the code. We also have as part of our onboarding for our new board members, the code and compliance training, as well as an attestation of conflicts of interest. So I'm going to send the audit committee chair the attestations of all of the board members and I'm going to send them to outside counsel. So there's a couple of layers. We're going back a few episodes ago when I talk about safety lasagna. There's a couple of layers of controls we have in here and so I'm going to send the board chair those or the audit committee chair those controls. As for his legal question, I am going to <laughs> um, 
say, I, I don't think it needs a, a strict legal answer. I think the answer is we're beholden to our employees, to shareholders if we have them, um, or ownership if we have them, or if we're a nonprofit to our mission to act in a way that benefits the company and not ourselves. And so even if you don't get into the, the legality of it, the rules are very clear. Um, and, and I think that that's where I would land. And it's not because I don't think the audit committee chair can't understand legal speak because audit committee chairs tend to be very sophisticated, very intelligent individuals. It's just, instead of pointing, my gut tells me, and it could be right or wrong, my gut tells me instead of pointing to legal, 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 I just go, this feels wrong, right? And that's because it is. <laughs> and then I back that up with the, the proper regulatory and code pieces. But to me, it's pretty common sense. It could be argued, but to me, this one was pretty common sense. Also, before I call back the audit committee chair, I'm definitely updating my resume because if my boss, the general counsel, in the hypothetical, if, if, if my boss, the CEO, and a chunk of the board are all in on this and think this is okay, they're going to invite me to pursue new opportunities very, very quickly. And even if they don't, I don't know that I want to work somewhere where everybody above me thinks that personal loans in exchange for board seats is an okay way to operate. Courtney, uh, before uh, there was a slight reorganization of your job duties at the start of the year. Previously, you had headed up due diligence on potential board members, and uh, the GC said he was going to take that rollover. And so you uh, get into the GC's records and you find that there was actually no due diligence performed on these board members, or at least none in the files that were there typically kept. Do you see that as a red flag? And what would you suggest the type of due diligence be done on a potential board member for your company? Um, Tom, I think, in, I, know, I think you know the answer to this. Oh, yes, it's a red flag. It's a huge red flag. We don't put anyone on a board, um, public, private, nonprofit, who hasn't been investigated and gone through a due diligence process in some way. That's irresponsible and um, unethical. So for me, the diligence process is one that I, I, I could take kind of two routes. So I'm going to do the formal, have outside counsel or an outside firm do a full investigation of this board member. I'm going to have them look into all of the public records. I'm going to have them look into any potential criminal activity, any potential um, fraudulent activity, any press that might be unfavorable. Um, has this person made decisions that they had to defend to the press? And if so, what did that look like? I'm gonna have them look into the social media of this board member, if there is any, and see the activities that happen in this person's personal life. I'm also likely going to have them look into immediate family. So we're gonna be looking for any transactions that look wonky, any uh, business issues that have intersected 
with the board member. When you're appointing someone to the board and, and you're looking for people to help run your company, I think full diligence is really important. You wanna know who you're getting. And if the board member is not upfront about who they are and their past and more than just their CV, then I think that that is enough to, to spark a, a further investigation. Uh, it is now Sunday and you have reported your preliminary findings to the head of the audit committee. Your outside counsel has uh, also uh, produced you a preliminary report recognizing that they have let, had less than 48 hours to do this. The chair of the audit committee uh, says he's going to call uh, some trusted board members that he knows and that they are going to, based upon the preliminary findings, they believe termination of the CEO is the appropriate uh, action to take and also uh, termination of the general counsel. As the chief compliance officer, are uh, you involved in that? Or if not, uh, would you ha have any role sort of to communicate out about the values of the company, reemphasizing uh, conflicts of interest or any similar role, which may not be, of course, actually the termination, but uh, the communication and or reminding people of the seriousness of conflicts of interest. So absolutely. I'm obviously not going to be involved in the termination. I'm not going to be there when anyone's fired. But as compliance officers, we often work as the cleanup crew and, and often fix issues that, that we didn't cause. And so because of this termination, this is likely going to be a, a ton of gossip. There's likely going to be a ton of gossip in the organization about what happened, what's going on. There's a huge shakeup. And so part of my job and the, the job of my team is going to be to focus people on making good choices going forward. So depending on the severance packages and agreements and all of those complicated things, with the CEO and GC, I don't know what we can talk about or what we can even disclose internally. And so having that as a limitation, I'm likely just going to push training and awareness. I'm gonna push out a, an awareness campaign on the code of ethics, on ethics generally, and specifically on conflicts of interest. If we don't have a conflicts of interest platform, um, I'm likely going to ask for the money to implement a conflicts of interest platform. I'm going to make sure that our process internally is solid and defensible because I know that these kind of events can lead to additional scrutiny, either regulatory or otherwise. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to retrain, re-educate, and build awareness with the rest of the workforce on our conflicts of interest and our code. I'm also probably going to take the rest of the board, um, the, the upstanding men, members of the board, we are likely going to do a, if I'm given the liberty, a full day compliance boot camp. Like guys, we're gonna get down to the nitty gritty and I'm going to walk you through everything in our code, I'm going to walk you through all of our uh, enterprise-wide 
policies and procedures and what's right and what's not right and give you resources to go where to go if there are problems. And so I'm gonna take that opportunity as well. Um, because as the CCO, I, I live in the world where I, I have to make sure that all of the employees are doing what's right, but I have to make sure that the board understands their obligations as well. Courtney, it's now 4 p.m. on Sunday, July 5th. You get your final call from the chair of the audit committee. He says, thank you very much for your sterling work. Uh, please go home to your husband and enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. And by the way, you just might want to take Monday off uh, and not be in the office. Uh, when you get back Tuesday, uh, I really like your idea of using this as an opportunity to really reinvigorate uh, the uh, not only the board, not only senior management, but also uh, employees because my sense is employees tend to think of a conflict of interest as I'm doing business with a, a competitor or I'm, I'm giving a secret away or I'm doing something like that. But conflicts of interest can be much broader and you name some of those. It can be sending business to a relative. It can be having a, a, a relative, a wife, a child on the payroll. It can be a wide variety of things. And I don't think, or I'm not sure that that's really covered enough in terms of, yes, we have a conflict of interest policy. So can you get that message out really to the rest of the workforce after you come back Tuesday um, and there's an acting CEO in place? Yeah, and I, and I think that I'm gonna do that, depending on the size of the workforce, that's something that I would probably wanna spin up in-person training for. So, when you get dinged for something or when you think you're about to get dinged for something, it's really important to make sure that all of your workforce knows what's going on and has the training they need. And while online training is effective, we, I personally believe that in-person training can be more effective and it allows for real-time um, communication as far as questions um, and, and just interaction. And so depending on the size of the workforce, I'm probably going to deputize most of my team to go out, pick a location, and we're going to train people in person on conflicts of interest. And we're going to have real life examples. One of the examples we have in our code of conduct is uh, my neighbor, my next door neighbor is being considered for a job and I'm on the panel to interview. Do I have to disclose this? And the answer is, yeah, you have to disclose. Is it going to be a problem? Probably not, but we may take you off the panel for that interview because we don't want it to look like there was a conflict. So it's not that conflicts are per se bad, they just need to be disclosed and managed. And I think that that is the message we wanna get out. Um, sunlight sanitizes, guys, I'm gonna say it over and over and over again, is if you bring us issues, it's our job to manage them. So that would be my plan. If we have 60,000 people across the globe, that's not a great plan. But if we have a manageable number of employees that we can train in person, I think that that's where I would go because it's going to be really important that the workforce and the board understand what a conflict is, what it means, um, and the importance of bringing that forward, even a perceived conflict, uh, just because then we can manage it. 
The only thing I fear in life, the things that keep me up at night are what I don't know. Because what I know about, I can handle. And, and that's the piece, right? Bring everything to us because we can handle it. Whatever it is, we can handle it. It's just the stuff we don't know about that's scary. Well, Courtney, I think as you look back on this experience, you will fondly remember July 4th weekend, and it may remind you of conflicts of interest going forward. I hope that our audience will join us again for another episode of Survive and Thrive. I'm Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. See you on our next episode. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast? Do you have an idea which you think would be helpful to the compliance community? Do you have a great story to tell? If any of these are true, why don't you start a podcast and put it on the Compliance Podcast Network? I have partnered with One Stone Creative to create a end-to-end solution for you to tell your story on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you have questions, please email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And more importantly, I hope you will tell your story with your podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network.